Cambodia about a week and a half or two weeks ago. God is on the move in Southeast Asia, um, as he is in Seje, Africa, and insert other places here around the world. It's exciting to, uh, to hear that. So blessings on you as you have that terrible time for a flight. You're going to go home to sleep now. I think you should have turkey right before you get on the plane, because we all know what happens after you eat turkey. I feel like I'm spitting all over the place. Am I spitting all over? Am I okay? I'm, <laughs> I'm fine. That's good. It's good to know that I'm fine. Wonderful. You'll probably have noticed that, um, that I'm not Derwin. I hope you noticed that anyway. Um, if you're visiting with us, you could have an excuse, but if you're a regular, I'm not Derwin. Um, I'm shorter than Derwin. Um, I have a little less hair on my face than Derwin, maybe a little bit more hair on top of my head than Derwin, um, but I am definitely not Derwin. Um, Derwin is not here. I'm pinch hitting for him this morning, um, and we just want to make sure that you're all in the loop. Um, Derwin had some health concerns this past week, and he is doing just fine, um, but uh, he did have some health concerns this week. He uh, had an elevated heart rate earlier in the week, um, consulted his doctor. His doctor said, you should probably get that checked. Um, so he went in um, to the ER and, uh, and had a few people praying even then, just help God to slow my heart rate down. Um, and even while he was waiting in the ER um, to be checked and, uh, with all the equipment, um, his heart rate did, did stabilize, which was a real answer to prayer. So we're grateful for that. Um, but they wanted to keep him there to get a sense of why that was happening. Um, and he was actually there for a couple of days, um, not because he was deathly ill, but just because it takes a while to get these tests ordered and all of those kinds of things. So um, he did have the tests later this week, uh, and the tests all came back very well. So as far as I know, he's resting comfortably at home. His doctor said, you just need to relax, and he gets far too excited when he's here. So, um, so he's resting at home. I did see him this week, as did a few of you. Um, he was Derwin, there, there, was, there was no doubt about it. He was making friends with everybody in the hospital. Um, and he was, when I went in, he was actually up walking around. Um, thankfully, he had sweatpants and t-shirt underneath his robe, you know, those, anyway. Um, let's not envision that, let's just move on, shall we? Um, but seriously, he is, he's doing okay. But um, we wanted you to be aware of that so that you can be praying for him. Um, and uh, just asking God to continue to, uh, to grant him full health and restoration, um, and he passes on his love and greetings uh, to all of you this morning. So before I begin, I want to pray um, for our time, but I want to particularly pray for Derwin. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are interested in the details of our lives, and so we thank you that we can come and we can bring our brother Derwin to you, and we thank you, Father, that you protected him this week, and uh, you stabilized uh, a heart rate that was higher than normal. And we thank you that you have been giving and will continue to give the doctors wisdom as they um, seek to discern what uh, exactly is the situation. Thank you that uh, you granted him a measure of rest this week and even this morning. So this morning we come and we pray that you would bless him, that you would give him the rest that he needs, uh, that he would know your peace and your joy uh, and your encouragement during this time. And for the boys and for Angel, uh, who um, uh, is in Africa currently, we pray that you would just continue to provide for them in every way. Um, we pray, God, that you would strengthen uh, 
us as a, as a body, and we thank you that when one part of the body is hurting um, and is in need, we can all, uh, we all feel it and we can all um, be supportive. So we just come to you and ask, Father, that you would encourage Derwin even today. We thank you for him, for the way that you have called him to lead us, and for the joy uh, in which uh, he has and in his leading. And we pray that um, you would continue to use him powerfully in this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Am I doing something wrong with my microphone? Is it too close to my face? Sounds like the cable. If it really gets bad, I'll just start yelling at you and turn it off. How's that? Because I know that gets really annoying if it sounds like I'm uh, fading in and out. It's Thanksgiving. How many have eaten their turkey yet? How many are eating more than one turkey this weekend? <laughs> A few of the guys in the group. Praise Jesus, there's two of them. What are you thankful for? Take a second to think about that. We're going to spend a few moments looking at Thanksgiving, uh, the, the concept of Thanksgiving this morning, but I want to, I want to ask you, take, a, take 10, 15 seconds, what are you thankful for? And then I'm going to ask you just to speak it out. I am thankful for it. No sermons, but I'm thankful for Think about it. Feel free. I am thankful for. Lots to be thankful for as we come, not, not just on Thanksgiving Sunday, but, but lots to be thankful for every time we gather together. Um, in fact, every time, uh, every, every day that we, uh, we wake up, we're, there's lots to be thankful for. I want to spend a few moments just um, stepping aside from what Derwin, the, the series that Derwin has been doing. Um, in pitch hit, pinch hitting, I wasn't about to step into uh, to the regular series, but I, I, it, it's Thanksgiving Sunday, and I thought this is a time for us to step back, and, and yes, there's, there's the meal, it, you may have more than one meal, uh, that's excellent, um, but sometimes the weekend can just get away from us, and all of a sudden, th it's over, and you know, the decorations go away, and we, and we move on, and, and I would like for us to spend a few moments this morning um, l perhaps delving into a portion of scripture that we don't get into all that much, um, but that has some real instruction for us, has some things to say to us about giving thanks, about thanksgiving. It's in uh, the book of Second Chronicles. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn there or f um, turn on your phone and go there, whatever your mode of, of, uh, of scripture reading is. Second Chronicles, we're going to read a couple of, of sections there. And just by way of int introduction, I've been reading through, the pro through Proverbs lately, um, and I'd like to say I've been doing it systematically, like starting in chapter one and moving on, but it's been, it's been very random, just sort of doing one of those literal in Proverbs, you know, opening up and 
um, and reading from wherever, uh, whatever chapter I turn to. But just reading Proverbs, that's, wh- that's what I've been doing. And, and Proverbs, if you didn't know, was, was written by Solomon, who was a king in Israel way back when, um, and he was known for his wisdom. And so these are, the Proverbs are basically some of his, his musings um, about wisdom. And, and there's, there's, there's a lot of solid stuff in there if you've never actually read through the book of Proverbs. But here's this guy, wise Solomon, and I've been reading through it, and um, I wanted to just be reminded a little bit more about him, and so started to read in Second Chronicles, because Second Chronicles is the place in Scripture where Solomon actually becomes king. He replaces David, and he becomes becomes king of Israel, and uh, and so I've been was reading in there, and there's this theme of thanks that comes up uh, in portions of the book of Second Chronicles. At the end of First Chronicles, um, David is, is winding things down. He realizes he's, he's going to be dying soon, um, and he, uh, he uh, is sort of s- positioning the people for the next chapter in their lives. And he explains to them in First Chronicles, the last chapter of 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 28, he explains to them um, his grand plan to build a temple for, for Yahweh, for the living God. Uh, and he, he describes that temple, and he invites the people to participate in the building of that temple. And he basically says, Solomon is going to be the guy to do it, and, and I commend you to him, and, and you guys go and build a grand temple, because God is worthy of it. And, and uh, the, the, the prayer that Lincoln read um, between songs in, in our worship just a few moments ago from, from First Chronicles was, was part of David's um, prayer after he gives off the plan and, and is about to to step back and let Solomon take over. It's David's prayer. He says, God is worthy. God is worthy of this. And so you get into 2 Chronicles. The 2 Chronicles, um, the, the plans to build this grand temple for, for God are in full swing. Chapter 2, uh, it talks about the preparations to build the temple. Chapter 3, the temple is built. Chapter 4, it's described to us, which you can read on your own. And then the portion that's important for us this morning is chapters 5 through 7 of 2 Chronicles is basically the dedication of the temple. You, we even do that nowadays, right? Um, even outside of churches, when a new building is opened, you have a dedication ceremony. Um, so uh, it, it's, a, it's a common practice. So uh, Solomon steps in in those three chapters, five through seven, and, and he goes through a process of dedicating this brand new temple to the living God. I want to read two portions of that section from Second Chronicles uh, and, and begin to draw out some, just some, some uh, things I noticed about thanksgiving from those sections. I want to read a passage from uh, chapter 5, um, which is where the Ark of the Covenant um, is brought into the new temple. And the Ark of the Covenant um, housed the, uh, the Ten Commandments as God gave them to Moses, and, and they take their place at the front under the cherubim, and, and that's where God's presence dwells in the temple. And so it's, it was a big deal uh, chapter Five. We're going to read a portion of that, and then ch- we're going to skip over to chapter 7 uh, and read some of the things about the actual dedication of the temple. So if you have a, a Bible in front of you, I'm going to read, it says in the, in the bullet, I'm going to start reading at verse 1. Um, I'm actually going to jump and start reading at chapter 5, verse 7. Second Chronicles 5, verse 7. So the ark's about to come in. Then the priest brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and covered the ark and its carrying poles. These poles were so long that their ends, extending from the ark, could be seen from in front of the inner sanctuary, but not from outside the holy place, and they're still there today. 
There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. The priests then withdrew from the holy place. All the priests who were there had consecrated themselves regardless of their divisions. All the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Haman, Jeduthun, and their sons and relatives stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpets and singers joined in unison as with one voice to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by the trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments. They raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good. His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Skip over a chapter, uh, in, just in case you're wondering, in chapter 6, um, Solomon does a prayer of dedication over the temple, uh, and then in chapter 7 it says this, When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord, and King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 head of cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. So the king and all the people dedicated the temple of God. The priests took their positions, as did the Levites with the Lord's musical instruments, which King David had made for praising the Lord, and which were used when he gave thanks, saying, His love endures forever. Opposite the Levites, the priests blew their trumpets, and all the Israelites were standing. Samuel, or Solomon consecrated the middle part of the courtyard in front of the temple of the Lord, and there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the fellowship offerings, because the bronze altar he had made could not hold the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat portions. So Solomon observed the festival at that time for seven days, and all Israel with him, a vast assembly, people from Lebo, Hamath, to the Wadi of Egypt. On the eighth day they held an assembly, for they had celebrated the dedication of the altar for seven days, and the festival for seven days more. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people to their homes, joyful and glad in heart for the good things the Lord had done for David and Solomon and for his people Israel. My friends, this is God's word to us this morning. When I'm reading through the book of Proverbs, uh, the word thanks, the term thanks is not used. It's not a theme in the book of Proverbs when you're talking about wisdom. Solomon didn't have it there. But when you read about Solomon's life in Second Chronicles, this whole notion of, of worship and giving thanks is really evident, particularly in these passages when we're talking about the, the dedication of this new temple. Here he is in these verses leading the people in what essentially is, it's, it, it's a dedication ceremony, but essentially it's a praise and thanksgiving service. That's what it is. And so we want to spend just a few minutes this morning taking a look at some of the some of the characteristics of what's going on here, because, I mean, th this is a foreign scene to us. I mean, th there's not every day where, where we're engaged in something like this where 120,000 sheep are sacrificed. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's never been something I've been a part of. Um, so it, it's, it's strange in some ways, but, 
But this is a service of thanks because they're dedicating this new temple, but in the process, stepping back and recognizing all that they have to be thankful for. So on this Thanksgiving Sunday, I want to remind you of what our thanks should look like. Now, this is the pre I want to say one more thing before I jump in. I like Thanksgiving and I don't like Thanksgiving all at the same time. I, I mean, I like the turkey, understood. Um, and I enjoy coming and there's nice decorations, which this looks lovely. Um, but in some ways, it's counterproductive because we get it in our heads that, well, this is the Sunday we give thanks. All right, that's done. And we forget that, that thanks is a theme that runs all the way through Scripture. And our worship is connected to that. And, and so it's not just on this Thanksgiving Sunday, let's do these things. It's, it's let's live this way. Let's live and breathe it. Let me give you uh, a few things to think about when it comes to thanks from these passages. Here's the first one. Thanks, in this case, was directed right at God. Thanks was directed at God. Do you have any pet peeves in life? I'm sure we could all share a few testimonials on our pet peeves. Um, I have many of them. I could get into a number of them, but, but I won't. Um, but I ha Well, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll do one that has to do with this. Uh, I have a Thanksgiving pet peeve. Um, one of my pet peeves, even this morning, I was, I was on Facebook this morning, um, just, you know, uh, just reading everybody's Thanksgiving messages as they go through the weekend. One of my pet peeves is, uh, my, uh, is when people give thanks and they have no interest in God. When they're saying, I am so thankful for this and this and that, just kind of what we did a few minutes ago, I'm so thankful for all these things, but they have no interest in God. And my question to them is, who, who are you thanking? What's the, if, you, if you're expressing thanks, thanks by definition has to be directed somewhere. And in this case, the people were grateful and thankful and they directed it where the thanks rightfully belongs. They directed it to the living God. Thanks was directed right at God. Right square at God. That's where Solomon was directing the people to give their thanks. In chapter 5, what I read a few moments ago, um, it says everyone joined together in unison and they gave praise and thanks to the Lord. All the attention was off of themselves and was on the living God. Please don't miss that. In this service of dedication, it was worship, yes, but it, within their worship, there was thanks, and that thanks was directed at the living God. That's a good reminder for us when it comes to our worship, not, not just here, but our worship in, in, in our daily lives. We are to be a people of gratitude, and that gratitude has to be focused on something. And so on a daily basis, we should be saying, God, you have blessed me with so much. I am grateful. And out of that grateful heart, I worship you. But it's directed squarely at, at you, God. I recognize that, as, as Lincoln read for us a few moments ago from David's prayer, wealth, wealth even comes from you. It, it's all from you, God. And so I direct my thanks at you. It's not just, you know, firing out thanks all over the place. It's directing it right at God. 
That's what Solomon does. Regularly right at God. This is a very critical time in the, in the life of uh, the people of Israel. What did they have to be thankful for? As they looked back, what did they have to be thankful for? Well, they, they had a lot to be thankful for. They, they would look back constantly, and they would see how God was with them, how God had provided for them, and they were grateful for that. They were recognizing that even in this present dedication ceremony of the temple, that God was present with them. So it's the Shekinah glory, the glory of God descends like a fog on the place. That God was with them, present. He was, he was Savior, and he was, he was present, and they belonged to him. They were his people. He was present, and he was involved in their lives. And, and their, their, their thanks culminates with the phrase that comes up a, a few times in the passages that I read. It culminates with, he is good. His love endures forever. If there was a way that they could summarize all that they were thankful for, that was it. God, you're good. Your love endures forever. Even when life is difficult and hard, God, I recognize your goodness. And I recognize that when all else seems to be falling apart and, 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 and when things, nothing else endures, your love endures forever. And they gave thanks. We're in the same place, my friends. We look at our lives and we recognize God has provided salvation for us. And through faith in Jesus Christ, we belong to him. We are his. Nothing can snatch us from his hands. And we recognize that God has been and will continue to be with us. And we too step up and say, God, you're good. Your love endures forever. And so I'm going to give thanks to you. Wise thanksgiving is directed right at God, unapologetically and fully. Please don't fall into a, the trap this Thanksgiving where we just spray thanks all over the place as if we're hoping it will stick somewhere in the universe. No, God, I'm thankful for what you have done for me and for who you are. Direct your thanks, not just on turkey weekend, but every day in your life. It was directed right at God. Did you notice that it's really joy-filled as well? Their thanks was joy-filled. Chapter 5 um, continues on, and it's quite a picture, actually, um, when you think about it. All the Levites gather together, and the priests. Um, there's 120 priests, all of them with trumpets. <laughs> Just get your mental picture on that. I mean, the only thing that would be worse than that is 120 priests with bagpipes. I mean, apologies to anyone who's Scottish. But really, like 120 pastors with trumpets. Imagine 120 Derwins, each loaded with a trumpet. Like, this is not a, this is, th this portion of this, of this thanks service, it is raucous. There's a lot going on. It is joy-filled worship. This is Thanksgiving on steroids. This is thanksgiving with no holds barred there's there's not holding anything back imagine that kind of worship for us in our daily lives okay 120 trumpets might be difficult to assemble periodically in your life your employer might not look kindly upon that but but the, the whole sense of when i consider what god has done 
there is no other response than to give thanks joyfully. Now, I know some of us are more expressive than others. I understand that. We're not all going to respond joyfully in the same way. But I do know this. Our worship should be joy-filled. Not just here, but yes, here, but our daily lives, as we live lives of worship, we should be known for our joy. This is, this is challenging to me. When we talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5, uh, love, joy. Joy should mark us. Doesn't mean you can't have bad days. You do. Doesn't mean that you have to be artificially um, happy when times are hard because happiness and joy are not the same thing. Joy is far deeper and recognizes even when life is hard and difficult, there's a deep sense of joy knowing my God is good and his love endures forever and he's with me. But we should be marked by joy. Our worship, our thanksgiving should be joy-filled when we consider what God has done for us. Listen to this. From Ephesians chapter 2, I'm putting it in the, in the message um, version because it, it just brings a fresh picture, but, but listen to what God has done for you and tell me if you should not be joyful. This is what the Apostle Paul says about what God has done for us. Ephesians 2. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. But instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, God embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all of this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us with all the time in this world and in the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. But don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that you outsiders to God's ways had no idea of any of this, didn't know the first thing about the way God works, hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. You knew nothing of that rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel. You hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. But now because of Christ, dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. Does that not scream joy when we consider where we were without God and where we are in Christ? Pull out the trumpets. Pull out the bagpipes. Our worship and our thanks should be joy-filled. God, you have done so much. You are good and your love endures forever. Wise thanksgiving is joy-filled. 
But here's the third one. Why is thanksgiving isn't just directed at God, it isn't just joy-filled, it, it, it involves confession. And this is, in many ways, it'll feel like the opposite of, this, of the point that I just made. It, it, it occurs to me when I read chapter 7, um, Solomon finishes praying, and, 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 uh, and the glory of the Lord fills the temple. And what are, what's the response in, in chapter 7, verse 2? The priests can't even get in there because of the glory of the Lord. And when the Israelites see all of this going on, what's the, what's the reaction? The reaction isn't, huh, that's real. that is cool. The reaction is immediate. They are on their faces. That face down, um, sprawling out is a, is a place, is a position in Scripture of humility and of awe. But it's also a position of confession. When confronted with the Shekinah glory, the holiness of God, the people, bang, they're on their face. It was what Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6 when he has this vision of the grandness of God and he just, boom, on his face. Woe is me, I'm ruined, he said. In the, in the eye, in the, looking at the glory of God and the holiness of God, the people automatically, there's almost like there's a hush in chapter 7 that falls over this huge crowd, and the people are on their face. Because this whole service of thanksgiving and dedication also, it, yes, it's 120 trumpets, it's woo, but then it's on our face. It's confession. Wise thanksgiving also involves confession, it seems to me. In chapter, and I'm not just getting it from those, from those, that, those couple of verses, chapter 6 Verse 24, you can read it, um, 24 through 36, and even beyond that, there's this chunk in, in, uh, in chapter 6, verse 24, where, where Solomon, in his prayer of dedication for the temple, is praying to God, saying, God, um, as we move forward, when the people sin, call them back and be merciful to them in their confession. He's praying this in front of the people. He's recognizing them. Like, even as we dedicate this temple, even as we give thanks, God, we are going to sin. And, it, and when we do that, would you give us the grace and the humility to come and confess our sin to you, to fall before you, before your glory and your holiness, and to confess our sin before you? And, and Solomon says to God, would you in your grace and mercy forgive the people? This service of thanks involved a lot of joy-filled worship, the trumpets, but it also involved humble, quiet confession. The Thanksgiving season is a recognition of God's blessings and love, but a recognition of God's blessing and love also means that we acknowledge that God demands a response. When we understand God's incredible love for us, all that his love has driven him to do for us, it demands, it precipitates an ongoing response from us. And part of that ongoing response is confession of our sin. It seems to me that this is something the church has lost, not Hillside community specifically, but the church. We, we've lost this feel of, uh, uh, or this, this act of confession. And I, I haven't... I, I think there's a number of reasons for that, which, you know, we can talk about later, but, but I think the church has forgotten how to confess. Individually, 
and, and I speak as one as well, I lost that whole notion of the weight of my sin and coming to God and saying, thank you that in Christ I am free from that, but God, I confess it before you. And I really think that we've lost that as a collective community, as the people of God, coming before uh, th- th- as the people of God and confessing our sin. I have to say one of the most powerful times um, we've been at this church for a couple of years now. Um, a couple of years? Has it been that long, Karen? Holy moly. Anyway, sorry, I just had a moment there. Um, anyway, um, but one of my most powerful times in this church during that time was Good Friday service last year when Lincoln led us through a, a whole liturgy, but part of that was, was a concentrated time on confession together. That was powerful for me. Thank you for doing that. Because th- wise thanksgiving involves confession. Why would we do that? <laughs> Why would the people fall face down? Why would we do that? Ultimately, we do it. Why would we stick our necks out and, and confess? It, it just it strikes me that the people are doing this in this passage because of the theme that's running through what I read for you this morning, where the people recognize, God, you are good, and your love endures forever. Why would I not confess my sin? I can come... the people looking at like looking face to face at the glory of God it was humbling to them and they 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 were down on their faces but they knew that they worshiped a God who was good and whose love for them was was forever they knew what we sang this morning the Lord is um, slow to anger and rich as love he's compassionate they that's the God they knew and so of course they would come in confession because they knew that God loved them and his love endured forever and that he was good. In fact, God responds. In, in, after the, the portion that I read for you in chapter 7, God responds, and he says to Solomon, in part, in chapter 7, verse 14, he reminds him, he says, you know what? Hey, Solomon, just keep reminding the people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. That's God's promise to his people. Just after they've been on their faces, it's, it's a reminder to them, hey, when you confess your sin, to use the New Testament w- verbiage, God says, I'm faithful, and I'm just, and I will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Why? Because I'm good, and my love endures forever. Their thanks was directed at God. It was joy-filled. It was full of confession. And here's the last one. It involves sacrifice. This is where the story, that the picture here is really bizarre. Because this dedication ceremony, this, this service of thanks for this new temple, has a, a, a pretty significant sacrificial picture to it. In chapter 7, verses 4 and 5, we find out that part of the service was the sacrifice of 22,000 cattle. Just stop and get your picture on that. Because this isn't some nice little pious service. This is carcasses piling on top of carcasses on top of carcasses and big flames. Imagine the smell. Like, 
And if that's not bad enough, hey, let's throw 120,000 sheep in there as well, just to kind of round things out a little bit. This is huge. And, and I'm not going in, get in, to get into this morning the whole sacrificial system, because and, and there were different types of sacrifices. There were grain sacrifices, and, and the, the, each sacrifice had a different purpose. And, and, uh, and thanks be to God that one sacrifice came in Jesus Christ and provided for us. But at this point in, in, the, in the history of, of God's people, this was a part of it, that they were to give what, what was valuable, and they were to give it in sacrifice as part of their worship, as part of their confession. They were to give that. In the New Testament, Jesus does away with all of that and says, I am going to be the sacrifice. But Jesus also cranks it up a notch. And he says, you are now to offer yourselves. You are to sacrifice your own life. You are, as it were, to, to lob yourself up on the altar and sacrifice yourself and say, I'm giving of myself fully to you, God. When we talk about giving thanks, that's a part of it. Part of our thanksgiving to God is saying, God, continually, I, I give myself to you. The Apostle Paul in Romans 12 puts it this way. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of all that he's done for you, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Part of our worship, part of our giving thanks is giving ourselves. We are called to sacrifice ourselves why would we do that? Why would we give ourselves up to God? Because he's good. The people knew that. He's good. His love endures forever. So why wouldn't I give myself to him? I'm going to invite the team to come forward now. We're going to close in a song, I'm, I'm wondering, um, I'm wondering if that's what you just needed to be reminded of this morning. In your thanksgiving, whatever your thanksgiving is this weekend, we focus on it this weekend. My friends, can I just remind you this morning with my, as my final word? Here's that, I gave you some reflections on giving thanks, but here's the ultimate thing I'd want you to be reminded of this morning. God is good. And like you, this is spoken by someone who has gone through and is going through challenging and even dark times. But I'm telling you, God is good and his love endures forever. Let's fix our eyes on that as we give thanks, not just this weekend, but as we live lives of thanks. Thanks be to God. Thanks to the Lord, our God and King, His love endures forever. For He is good, He is above all things. His love endures forever. Sing 
If you'd like to receive praise, um, if you, prayer, if you want to receive praise, I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, but if you'd like to receive prayer, you can come on up to the front because we've got folks that would love to do that. I might come forward myself, I think. Um, and uh, we have also refreshments at the back. Take advantage of those for sure. Um, but for now, remain standing and receive the benediction. So as you go from this place now, may our great God, who is the God of all grace, grant you this grace today. That you might have a heart that is filled with thanksgiving, sure in the knowledge that in every situation and in all things, the Lord is good and his love endures forever. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be blessed.